Hello and welcome to episode two of the Data Busters podcast, the podcast for all things school data. Welcome back to all of those who joined us for episode one of the podcast. And thanks for all the support and feedback which we've received so far. To those joining us for the first time, it's good to have you here. Now, six weeks into the autumn term, the shape of the 2019-20 academic year is becoming slightly more clear. And just in time for a much needed half term break, here's some food for thought on school data. This month, we will be mostly talking about the rapidly evolving world of progress measures in schools, looking at the tricky subject of target setting, and considering what everyone needs to know about confidence intervals. I'm Richard Selfridge, author of Data Busting for Schools, and joining me as always is James Pembroke, data buster extraordinaire, insight facilitator, and all-round data guru. Hello, Jamie, how are you doing? I'm all right, mate. How are you? Very well. Not too bad at all. Not too bad at all. Um, fascinating with how things are actually moving along quite so quickly with uh, with the things which we discussed in episode one, the last episode in September, with the um, education inspection framework. There seems to be quite a bit of feedback that's coming back now yes. that that's rolling into schools. Yes. Yeah, mm. definitely. Yeah, certainly starting to hear some some things on the grapevine, on the data vine. Um, so stuff I've um, sort of seen on Twitter, conversations that I've had. Uh, mm. it, it's uh, it's become a reality, I guess, that the inspections that have happened so far this term have been um, uh, rather sparse on data. Absolutely. It's been interesting seeing uh, things, Yeah, talking to people in school. Um, uh, I spoke to Dan Morrow, who uh, is based yep. down in Erith, Thamesmead, um, from the Woodland Academies Trust. He wrote a piece in Schools Week, um, yep. which we discussed. Um, which was uh, his experience of uh, recent inspections. And he was saying, he put in his piece, he was very good, saying he was there armed with reams of data for the achievement conversation, ready to ride into battle for his staff and his children, his community, except that conversation didn't actually come. No. Which is it's reassuring, because that's what we were expecting. That's what we've been led to believe. But yeah. of course, everybody was a bit nervous about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I had an interesting conversation recently. I was doing a talk for some head teachers here in, in Gloucestershire. And... Uh, I, I, I was talking about this um, moving away from a focus on data, uh, that they're not, not going to be looking at data, that you could chase the inspection inspector around the school with your spreadsheet and they're just <laughs> going to go, no, 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 I don't want to look at it. I don't want to look at it. Um, and yeah. there was an inspector in the room who kind of picked me up on this, actually. And she said, uh, well, it, it's, it's not quite right. It's not that we're not interested in data. Mm. Um, it's it's about the uh, effectiveness of that data. And I said, well, yeah, sure. I mean, they're not going to look at your data, sure. but they want to make sure, ascertain whether your approach to assessment is effective in supporting children's learning. Absolutely. But they're not going to look at the data. So the point I was making, they're not going to look at the data, but yes, they do want to make sure that whatever it is that you're doing yeah. is having some impact, is having some effect, and is not an absolute waste of your teacher's time. So as we said last time, this is a good opportunity for schools to go through what they're doing mm. and decide on, have those conversations about, is this useful? If not, let's stop doing it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Jeff um, Barton from Askell, he, was, he did a piece in last week's um, TES um, which I'll put again in the show notes. It's good to see him just basically saying, "Yeah, this is a, it's a bit strange that the, the changes that we've got, but you know, it's the sense his sense is that it's the time is to uh, hold our nerve at the moment and just yeah. go with it and you know, so trust it because there are issues. I know that lots of small primary schools in particular are finding it a bit difficult with the uh, the deep dives into curriculum and so on. But from a data perspective, my goodness, it's so much better than it was. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Absolutely, I think so. Some freedom. I, Exactly, exactly. And then but I say the important thing is that schools look at it, they think about what they're trying to do, and they, you know, set a course and stick to it, I think. Uh, I, I think, that as we said last time, though, there are obviously, there's, there's this kind of lag, isn't there, between, yeah. uh, for, from this point, and, and schools actually, a lot of schools actually starting to take, opportun take, take this opportunity. Um, and it is still worrying that I, I am coming across schools, mats that are tracking, you know, collecting data six times a year, tracking a hell of a lot of data, still mm. using some kind of levels based system, still talking about children making, you know, <laughs> six points per year, that sort of stuff. That's still yeah. very much a thing in many, many, many schools. Um, so uh, it's going to take a while for them to let go. I think so. I think so. We'll see how it all rolls out. 
Um, yeah. The other big thing, of course, is that because uh, we talked about the inspection data summary reports um, last time uh, and the primary ones now came out on the 9th of October. Yeah. Um, so we've had those. And yeah, they're uh, out. They're out. Mm, and, um, and, and, and this has been very interesting. So they're out. And uh, what a lot of head teachers have discovered on downloading those reports is that the, uh, the utter greyness of them. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, um, the good. statements, as we said, yeah. they're like sort of three, four pages of yep. um, areas of interest. Mm. Um, and that a lot of schools are finding that they are greyed out because they mm. are not deemed to be significant, you know. So uh, yep. it's just saying like, it's basically saying nothing to see here, nothing to see here. And I think oh. some schools have taken this as a bit of a slight. And I'm saying, no, no, this is a good thing. It's good oh. to be grey, Richard. It's good to Absolutely. be grey. Absolutely good to be grey. Embrace it. Someone said on Twitter the other day, embrace the grey. You know, Quite. this is like, uh, this is like um, that, that, that kind of, uh, what was it, naked gun, nothing to see here, move along. Um, Absolutely. Hopefully yep. not with the explosions happening behind <laughs> it. But yeah, nothing to see here. Move along. It's all yep. fine. Grey is good. Uh, yeah, exactly. To paraphrase Gordon Gecko, grey mm -hmm. is good. Excellent. Yep. So those are the primary ones that are out. Um, uh, and I got in touch with Ofsted to ask about it again, because it's that whole, when are they going to release them? And they said early October, which turned out to be the 9th of October. And then they've said provisional That's secondary. Early -ish. <laughs> it's early-ish, you know, I'd, I'd say, yeah, exactly. Um, the provisional secondary is due mid-November, they've said. So okay. the what are we going for? We think that's the 17th? Do we think that's the 20th? <laughs> okay, yeah, well, um, I mean, it's, it's good that it's out, you know, because last yeah. year it was later than this. You're usually yeah. looking at around the half term to see that's any right. of this data. What we really need, Richard, what we really need is this stuff to be out on the 1st of September. Absolutely. And you've said this before, because the data's there and it comes out yes. in other formats and in other forms. Well, so... other organisations mm. manage to get data out earlier. And mm. I think it's time for. Uh, yeah, I mean, mm. this is something we're going to talk about in another podcast. Exactly. Kind of, uh, yeah. Access, early access to data is important. And mm. I don't really think the school should be having to pay for that privilege. They need early access to data. And uh, other other organisations can do it, then maybe the DfE and Ofsted can too. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. So yeah, so lots of things which came out from last um, month's podcast. It was uh, good to, to be able to see those those things coming through and just getting a bit more of a sense of uh, what this academic year is going to look like as we move forward. So, Jamie, schools, they've always assessed children in one way or another. And um, assessments at 16 and at 18, those in particular, they've been in place since before we were born. You know, we've had those forever. Yeah. Um, and we've had statutory end of key stage tests for 20 years or so now. Yeah. And in the jargon, obviously, those for those who might be interested, they provide an indication of children's attainment relative to their peers. Now, yeah. attainment is obviously used by the government in various ways. And one of those is to inform judgments about the effectiveness of schools and teaching. But... For a number of reasons, using raw attainment to make judgments about the effectiveness of schools and teaching, it's well, it's problematic, isn't it? So so this idea of the progress measures comes in there. Um, now, in terms of statutory progress measures, how they evolved over time? What's your experience been? Well, um, if we go back back a few years, it wasn't that long ago um, when we had two separate progress measures. Mm. Um, so schools have we had a levels based measure, very simplistic. Uh, it looked at the expected level at each key stage um, mm. and then kind of subtracted one from the other. And that was how many levels of progress you've made. And of course, the expected progress across key stage two was to make two levels of progress to go from a two to a four or a three to a five or from one to a three. Uh, the the, the uh, insinuation being that going from a one to a three was of equal value as going from a two to a four or a three to a five. Yeah. Um, and then we had at key stage two to four, we also had a levels measure as well, where it's three levels of progress. And of course, more than expected progress, more than expected progress <laughs> being three levels across key stage two or four levels across yeah. key stage four. And of course, it was incredibly simplistic. But yeah. the good thing about simplicity was everyone understood it. But running yeah. alongside this, of course, we had a value added system as well which mm. no one really understood and no one really paid much attention to until it went blue in your raise report um, <laughs> or green or what have you. And then people started to panic or celebrate, but didn't really understand. Yeah. Do you remember the, the value added um, for a primary school was centered on a hundred, not zero. <laughs> yep, and the value right. added for a secondary school was centered on a thousand, yep. uh, which was incredible. Like anyone ever got like really, really, no one ever really got below 990 or whatever, but um, yeah. 
so we had these two progress measures and the weird thing about mm. them was they conflicted one another it was entirely possible for a hundred percent of children to make expected progress across key stage two for example to make two levels but for your value added to be significantly below so everyone yep. had done what you expect them to do but your progress wasn't good which <laughs> kind of was bonkers it was possible for children who made three levels of progress to have lower value added scores than children who made two levels of progress. Yep. It, it, so there were these crazy kind of conflicts in the system and people didn't really hmm. understand it. And of course, then yeah. levels went uh, sort of five years ago. Uh, we got rid of the levels of progress measure and we are left with the value added. So hmm. in secondary, we've got progress eight, which is a combined value added score and in yeah. primary we have uh, three value added measures for reading writing and maths reading mm -hmm. and maths based on a test and writing yeah. based on a teacher assessment mm -hmm. which just doesn't really work so uh, that's yeah. kind of in a nutshell where we are now yeah i find it fascinating because when i was writing data busting for schools i did um, loads of research into you know where did all this come from how did we get you know why did people introduce the progress measures compared to attainment and so on and it is fascinating because a lot of it a lot of it is clearly driven by central government just basically saying we just want a number to be able to say whether a school is, is doing well or not well yeah so, yeah I, I i guess what they're trying to do is give schools credit for the progress from any particular start point even if children don't meet the expected standard you know whether yeah. that be level four or four b or whether that be the expected standard now or whether it be a grade five gcse you're trying to give mm. children credit and schools credit um mm. for for meeting that um and of course back in the day we had contextual mm. value added measures which added that additional layer of complexity but but some would say maybe a, a level of fairness to it that it started to compare schools on more of a like-for-like -like basis to include things like um deprivation and send um mobility mm. maybe things like that factors like that which which quite clearly have an impact i mean it's it whilst it's it's nice to have a measure that mm. gives schools credit for the progress children make even if they don't meet expected standards um, mm. is it really giving us an idea of the school effect? Yep, exactly. And then you're looking at that and, and saying, because people did want to have that sense of, of trying to have some kind of numerical analysis to say whether a school, as you say, was adding value and was the, what, what was the school actually doing? And it's the, the, the progression of it has been fascinating because obviously you had this, the central government requirement to have some kind of progress measures, but then schools that all began to say, but our contexts are very different. And then you ended up with a contextual value added um, uh, scores of sort of 10, probably getting on for 12, 15 years ago now. Yeah. And then yeah. those all got, the concern of that was, of course, was then that you were, you were expecting different amounts of progress yes. depending on the children. And yes. then that concerned other people. So then, then it all got thrown out. Yes. Um, and now we've ended up with these um, progress measures, which still, you know, it's that whole balance, isn't it? You know, yes, people are going to ask what's happening in schools and how do we know? Yes. Um, but sometimes those those numbers just get a little bit too blunt. Yes, and don't I, I, really there are arguments in favour and against contextual mm. value added, obviously. Um, and yeah. in an ideal world, you don't want to make excuses or allowances for children, uh, children's sort of low progress, low attainment, uh, because they are from certain backgrounds, you know, because all that does is exaggerate the, the gaps that we have, you know, that, that we, mm. it, it, we, there clearly is an attainment gap between the most disadvantaged children and other children. But at the same time, yeah. is it right to sort of compare all the schools on a level playing field when many schools mm. are dealing with a lot of, sort of social disadvantage that they are not responsible for. Yeah. So it comes down to what is the school effect? Um, yeah. And I think that all too often the progress measures that we now have, people mm. will interpret, like for mm. example, in the performance tables, the scores are put yes. out there in the performance tables for everyone to yeah. see. It boils down mm. something that's really quite complicated down to a single number, as you say, minus 1.8 yeah. in a primary school, and it's significantly yeah. below and it gets a, an orange or a, or, or a red box. And then yep. that affects, uh, influences a uh, parent's decision potentially on what school they send their children to and can even mm. influence house prices in an area. And that's the <laughs> Exactly. The, There's um, loads of research into that, isn't there? Yeah. And then the... 
the schools, of course, then begin to say, well, if we're going to be judged by these numbers, we're going to have a good look at the numbers. Because, again, I know you do a fair amount of analysis of this, uh, just the extreme values that you can get within um, progress measures, just because if you're on the on the outer edges of the distribution, then the numbers all get very interesting. Obviously, mo you know, most people in the middle are getting similar-ish yeah. levels of progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... I mean, in fact, I was talking about this earlier, that... Um... Uh, at the far ends, you can get uh, these kind of really crazy scores. Often they're smaller mm. schools. So really small schools can have these uh, really, really low or very, very high scores. They've just got a handful of children. They might have some outliers mm. in, in their data, which really boosts or, or lowers those scores. So within mm. a few percentiles at the extreme end, you can get these like this crazy kind of range of scores. But the vast majority of schools, like 80 percent schools in the middle, there's very little difference yep. between their progress scores. Um, yep. And maybe we can infer too much from these uh, progress scores. Mm. And I think my main concern is how robust they are. I mean, for all the issues mm. with you know, progress eight and there are clearly some issues that you know, people have discussed a lot about the impact on the curriculum that progress eight has. At least yeah. the progress scores are based on a standardized test at one end to a standardized test at the other. Mm. And I know there'll be mm. some that might say, you know, how, how, how standardized is the administration of key stage two SATs? Are there some weird things going on there? Uh, well, maybe yeah. that's over egged actually. But key mm. stage one to key stage two progress measures, mm. that's not quite so clear. It's not standardized, sure. is it? You've yeah. got teacher assessment at no. one end. You've got uh, a mix of tests and teacher assessment at the other. And I've got mm. major concerns about about that. Yep, exactly. And that's being um, addressed by by the uh, reception baseline assessments, which we'll come to at another time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's being addressed by that. Um, and you can see you can see I think with a lot of these measures, you know, they can be gained. There are problems with them. And it's almost trying to find the least worst yes. version of them um, because it's a bit like government, isn't it? You know, it's, uh, there's no there's no ideal one. There's just the one which is 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 not as bad as the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I suppose mm. I. I I, I have, I have, and now I, I know that I, I guess you talk to people about statisticians that analyze this stuff and they'll say there's a good correlation mm. between uh, key stage one and key stage two. But then again, mm. I remember sitting in meetings, you know, years ago and head teachers being very open about the fact that, quote, yeah. we don't do level three at key stage one anymore, um, <laughs> which is kind yeah. of wow. Um, exactly. and, and then there's yeah. the infant junior school thing where, you know, I mean, there are infant schools that quite clearly don't do this, but there are infant schools that maybe assess on the high side. There was that paper mm. by Education Data Lab that said, actually, if anyone is getting it right, it's infant schools that are getting it right. Because since the, we scrapped Key Stage 1 tests, infant schools results at Key Stage 1 have been fairly similar to pre, you know, pre and post those <laughs> Key Stage 1 tests. Um, yeah. But it was the primary exactly. schools. It was the primary schools for key stage one results that just dropped off a cliff. That was back in 2005, I think. So it got bang, down it went. Yep. So there's all that kind exactly. of issue. A, a head teacher exactly. I spoke to quite recently said she used to be a key stage one teacher. She was a year two teacher. And mm. she said when she, was a, uh, uh, when she was a year two teacher, she was told by her then head teacher that they had a quota system in the school oh. you could only have five no more than five level threes but they have to be balanced <laughs> out by so many two c's you know so there are there, yeah. this stuff goes on exactly this stuff yeah. goes on and, and and i know that there are junior schools and i don't want to labor this point there are junior schools where you know 60 60 odd percent two-thirds of children coming in are are categorized mm. as high prior attainers in an area where mm. all the local primary schools have got about 20 25 percent high prior attainers yep Exactly. That's why you get monitoring visits in in, in first schools. Fifty percent of them get monitored because, again, people are just unfortunately, you know, as things move forward, you know that there are there are incentives within the system for people to, you know, to gain things or to, uh, you know, to massage things. And so as I say there are clearly issues within um, the whole of the progress measures um, environment. I mean, I think it is interesting, though, though again, you know, thinking about how things have developed and how we're moving on. Um, I say in secondary, Progress 8 seems to, it has its issues, but it seems to be, it seems to be reasonably well understood. And the general feeling seems to be that it's better than what we had before. Yeah. Um, at primary, I think there are still some issues there. And well, again, we'll see how that works. I think, 
I think there are issues, and and and, mm. uh, but but the issues aren't going to go away, you know. So we we now have a year six cohort that don't have levels at, at, at key stage one. So primary schools mm. have just got used to this kind of weird mixed economy of levels at one end and scaled scores at the other, and they they know how that works. Now everyone's asking, so what are they going to do this year now that we've run out of levels? Um, yeah, and and obviously that we don't know the answer to that, but we pro we think we do. We think we can guess that they'll just carry yeah. on as they are. They'll apply mm. maybe some point scores to the new key stage one assessments, which will enable them to work out average scores. Because at the moment, I don't know what the average is of WTX plus EXS plus GDS divided by three or whatever. So they're going to have to work out yeah. some way of creating prior attainment groups. Uh, yeah. and, and then we'll carry on. But the problem is that it's much more clunky now. There are fewer outcomes. There'll be fewer mm. prior attainment groups. And the one thing that people are really starting to zero in on is there's going to be this massive prior attainment group. Yeah. Of all those children you may expect as standards in all three subjects, it's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be a huge. You look at the distribution of key stage one results. There's going to be this massive spike, um, yeah. and at that EXS times three group, and yeah. I, I'm I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about where progress measures are going to go next year, and I'm kind of reaching the point now where maybe, maybe we could consider just doing away with them, which is a scary place for primary yeah. schools to be. Exactly. And there is that sense within uh, within primary because things have moved on. Expected progress is no longer a thing. You don't have to you know, calculate it and give it to anybody. You know, that's not um, there. There's much more of a sense that progress is what children have learned over time and all this change at Ofsted in terms of curriculum. The good work done by uh, Data Lab, by yeah. Becky Allen, just basically saying the, the, all that issues with linear progress and so on. So, again, I think it's one of those situations where within primary, you're looking at people saying, OK, let's so you probably can't move beyond the numbers now and not just see it as a numbers thing. You need to understand how you how you, the numbers are calculated. But once you understand that, you know, you understand the various issues around it. Um, actually, you know, it's let's let's move on. But, a but, bit. but can you move beyond the numbers when the numbers mm -hmm. are so public and they are uh, and they're kind of presented in such a way, such a stark way? Uh, yeah that you just can't hide from them. You know, there they are. They're like these nice, brightly colored badges that say that you're below average or, or, or well below average on the basis mm. of, you know, a few dodgy scores, a few outliers. I mean, one of the things they did do last year was they started capping the extreme negative progress scores, didn't they? Um, yeah, which yeah. was interesting. That's right, yeah. But it depended on the prior attainment group. So if you're in a higher prior attainment group, it would be capped at, say, minus 10. But if you're in a lower prior attainment group, it would be capped at, like, minus 20. Now, in the very lowest prior attainment groups, you couldn't get those sort of minus 25s anyway. or exactly. whatever anyway. But it didn't seem yeah. particularly equitable. Um, yeah. and, and what was equally, what was interesting was that they were capping, so-called capping the, the really negative ones, but they weren't doing the same with the really positive ones. Yeah. So, so you could get children getting plus 32 progress scores, which I've seen, and that stands. Whereas if a child gets a minus 32, it gets dropped to minus 10 yeah. or something. So it, it yeah. just seems like, and there's the nominal scoring, children who don't sit the test. What do we do with them? Let's just assign them a made up number. Let's just give them 76 and, and we'll, chuck them in yeah. the, we'll chuck them in there. That We'll use them. So it, mm. it just seems like there's a series of bodges going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Exactly. And I think that it's, that's and partly as people begin to understand what's going on in the data more that people put pressure on the, um, you know, the, the departments that are producing the data to say, actually, it's unfair to to judge schools by by one or two children's results. We need to make, um, you know, we need to have a, a better system. So anyway, it looks like progress scores, again, as ever, it's a work in progress. You know, you just need to, the more you know about them, the more you're able to <clears throat> discuss them uh, and think about them and then make some decisions and move it on. It is vital. The, the... It is vital that people mm. understand how they're calculated mm. um, and yeah. understand their limitations, understand their failings and all the issues that are inherent in the system. It's important that Ofsted inspectors understand those and that head teachers understand and that governors understand them because governors are very sure. reliant on data uh, and they and they mm. use that data to make some inferences about the school performance which really we shouldn't do uh, they, sure. they're not um then they're not an indication of school effects they, they do not really tell us how that school compares to another school when you consider the mm. context of the schools in terms of mobility and deprivation and other factors they don't really tell us um, a, a much about that so we need to know their limitations but I do worry when they're there in the public domain and their parents say well I don't want to send my child to that school because that school is uh, an orange below average school mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. I mean, well, and we'll go on because we're going to have a discussion about uh, target settings. The two things kind of they, they link in together. It's all this sense of, you know, what is reasonable to expect of children. Anyway, so we'll see how things move on again with uh, um, progress scores. Again, if, if you're listening and if you've got any questions, any views, um, anything you want to contribute, do get in touch. Um, I say we're more than open uh, to have people give some feedback. The education, open brackets, local educational authority performance targets, close brackets, open brackets, England, close brackets, regulation 2005. It's a long title. That required that every local authority shall submit their targets to the Secretary of State by the 31st of January 2006 wow. for the school years starting in 2006 and thereafter annually by the 31st of January of the calendar year. Now, the targets that local authorities, they had to submit these things. They were based on expected attainment of children in year six, in year nine and year 10 in yes. 2006 when this happened. Um, and they were also, they had to have absence targets and targets for groups um, of more than 30 children. And there were some targets for children who were under local authority care. And that requirement to submit targets, it lasted till 2010. And yep. there was another um, act then, which was the education, I'll not do all the brackets, education, local authority and school performance targets, revocation and amendment, England regulations 2010. That removed that requirement for local educational authorities to set education performance targets. 2010, long time ago. But nine years on, this legacy of the government's demand for targets, it's still with us. Now, you've seen all this evolved, haven't you? So... Um, when did you first come into contact with targets and so on? Well, 2010, actually. Oh, so yeah. I worked in a local authority back then. Mm. And uh, so it was the last year. And yeah. I just remember us sending out this spreadsheet um, yeah. to schools and then chasing the schools to get it sent back. And they would dutifully mm. send back this um, spreadsheet, uh, where, which we would then collate all these. And I guess that they, they, well, they were then sent off. Um, yep. And, and it had some numbers on. Uh, yeah. Usually the numbers were in, I just remember the numbers usually around sort of somewhere between 65 and 75%, I think, was uh, right. most of the time that's what they were. Yeah. Um, so just as long as you had a number in that range, that seemed to be okay. I don't yeah. think anyone picked a number that, and I said, <laughs> picked a number, pick yeah. a number, uh, yeah. uh, think of a number. So no, no one seemed to pick a number that was lower than their previous number. Uh, um, I wonder why. Uh, I, I, maybe I'm being cynical, Richard. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I, I, who who would who would pick a number lower than their previous one? Uh, I think that the, uh, yeah. the the game was make make it about three percentage points higher than your previous one, and and then yeah, it just seemed like and that was picking numbers out of the air, mate. My experience of working in school as a teacher, you know, at that time, um, so, you know, that sort of 2005 through 2010, you know, people did ask you for expected um, uh, attainment for your children and so on. And I, I always assume it was a it was a two way professional conversation. I was happy to have that conversation with, you know, with head teachers and whoever. And you have that discussion saying, yeah, of course, we'll set, you know, reasonable targets for these children and we want them to do well. Um, and I say it was it was just part of what you did. When again looking into the research uh, um, of um, targets, it's also interesting if you look ten years before two thousand and six, nineteen ninety six. Again, then it was much more sporadic. We'd only just had key stage tests, and and clearly at that point, you know, a lot of schools were just doing largely what they wanted, and you know, you yeah. could see that there were gaps there. So by two thousand and six, I can see why um, central government was saying, actually, since we're involved now and we're we're getting stuck in, give us your numbers. But also by two thousand and ten, you know, the new government came in and basically said, actually, let's not do that anymore. We've got different priorities. I think I think the point had been made to schools: you've got to set challenging targets for your children expect a lot of them um and stop saying or oh, what can you do with children like these which was you know that was the anecdotal worry that there was at the time but anyway we had targets um that came through and then but then that the legacy of that um certainly over the last um 10 years schools are still have a slightly problematic um uh relationship with targets because you get into estimates and uh and so on and, uh, ah, and yeah. all so of that the, the old, uh, right, what's the difference between, uh, it's not a joke, uh, what's the difference <laughs> yeah. between an estimate, a prediction and a target? Absolutely. So often these words are used, um, it's, it, they, they sort of seem to be interchangeable, but they're not, mm. you know, they mean different things. So FFT talk about estimates, the DFE talk about estimates in the value added um, measures. So an estimate really is based on on chance, I guess, on probability or whatever. It's, it's based on what children with similar prior attainment do on average. 
Exactly. Um, and I think it goes back to what you were saying in the previous segment where we were talking about things, you know, that, that the correlation between key stages is quite high. Yeah. Now, that, that raises a lot of in, uh, questions, I think, because because it is quite high on yeah. average. On average, children with certain uh, with whatever prior attainments tend to get to the same place on average. But of course, individuals well, average, can be all yes, over the place, range either side of that is, exactly. you know, is, is it can be quite uh, wide. And um, uh, exactly. so if you look at the standard deviations, um, yeah. which are there in the primary accountability um, guidance, you know, that, that that's quite a range. And I think FFTs. Um, estimates mm. that they put in for key stage two, they'll put mm. in a scaled score estimate of mm. uh, 102 plus or minus four. They always put this plus yeah. or minus four uh, exactly. margin around it. Um, yeah, and if you look into the detail in the FFT um, uh, literature and the, the, the rubric that comes with FFT um, estimates, you know, they're quite clear about this and say, you know, yeah. these, are, these are group estimates. They don't necessarily mean anything for an individual. And, and, and there's a range here as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those so, estimates are, they, I mean, they're clearly based on, you know, broadly, this group of children, if you've got this as a prior attainment, this is what you, we're expecting at the next attainment um, measurement. So those estimates, again, they so, make so, sense yeah. in that group. That, I mean, the estimates are nationally, on average, a child with this type of prior attainment tends to do this. Yep. And, you know, you might give it a probability or sort of percentage chance. So like 72 percent of children with this prior attainment tend to get here. Yep. So there's the estimate part of it. And then there's the prediction part of it, which is essentially a teacher saying this is what I think will happen. Yep. Put aside the estimate. Estimated mm. outcome is this. This mm. is what I think will happen. And then there's the target. This is what I want to happen. And all yeah. those things could be different. Exactly. So yeah. When you're submitting those targets to the LA back in the day, or maybe these days, you're still submitting because there are still local authorities that want to collect the stuff and mats as well. Mats certainly do. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and governors want to see some. Are we are we giving them predictions? Are we mm. giving them targets or are yeah. we giving them estimates? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And does anyone really know the difference? <laughs> um, and do I yeah. know the difference? I don't know, Richard. Maybe yeah. I'm just guessing. Um, exactly. And there's an interesting discussion about this because, um, you know, at what point um, are targets for children, you know, for, for students, for yes. the, the learning schools, at what point, you know, do we share them with the students and when are they useful for the students? Because, again, historically in primary, a lot of the time the targets that have been set haven't necessarily been set with the child or with the child's knowledge. Um, in secondary, maybe a little bit more, or because you want to know what you're going to get for your GCSEs because well, you're thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, A levels, you mm. need to know the targets yeah. for your um, UCAS applications. So, yeah. uh, applying for university, you need to know those targets. So, uh, my daughter is in year thirteen, and and those are yeah. uh, very very important uh, to to her. I'm not so convinced about target setting in primary. Uh, mm. I just I'm not really sure. Um, first of all, setting a target of a scaled score seems a bit of a weird thing to do. So yes. this, this child, because what, what that is more about is not about the child. It's, it, I, I think that's more about the value added system. Yeah. It's what, what, is the, what is the line this child needs to cross yeah. in order to get a positive value added score? They need to at least get 107 and then, you know, that, then they'll get, or they need to get 92. But, mm. but surely that's at odds with what we want for the child. And, I yeah. guess what your target should be mm. is for them to meet the expected standard. Yeah. So isn't the target really for all children who can meet the expected standard to meet the expected standard? Yeah. I know there's also the higher score thing as well and, and greater mm. depth, but essentially we're looking at children meeting expected standards, aren't we? Exactly. You're looking at people, you know, it's part of the reason why we use gradings generally. You group, you know, um, various results together. So as you say, expected standard, that could be a number of scale scores you could put into that. But it makes sense to say, actually, we want you to stay within that block. Um, that's what we expect. Your target is to stay within there. Um, but again, or, or the target for the teacher or for the school, we're, we're aiming to make sure that children make what we regard as, you know, solid you know, development. I'm deliberately not using the word progress because of the discussion we had earlier, you know, but you want solid development for the children. Um, yeah. So rather than um, 
trying to put a number on it because of, again, distribution of scale scores, even or standardized scores, you know, that most people are getting in there between sort of, you know, there, there are a lot of people between 95 and 105 on a standardized score and not so many between or there's fewer people between 105 and 110, for example, whereas you might assume that, you know, between 100 and 105, there'd be the same number of people as from 105 to 110. But there are, you know, there's more people in the middle of the distribution. Yeah. So therefore, yeah. there's more results in the middle of the distribution. So, yeah, there's all kinds of issues around that. Yeah. So I think in terms of targets of primary, you know, where you're going to use them, it's to, it's to say, OK, given a child's prior education, um, prior attainment, if they're in the middle, they should be staying you know, in the middle. Yeah. If they can move up, great. If they're at the top, they should definitely stay at the top. And if they're at the bottom end, you should be doing everything you can to move them into the middle. You shouldn't just be leaving them yeah, at yeah. the bottom I mean, end. And, and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's yeah. not a norm reference thing, is it? You know, no. it's not like there's a, no. a, a well, there, I suppose there is a kind of a quota on how many children nationally can meet the expected standard. But when we've got two thirds of children meeting expected standards in the maths and reading test now, yeah. broadly speaking, um, sorry, two thirds, three quarters yeah. um, now meeting that. Um, so, uh, you know, those children that are working towards at key stage one, you want to try and mm. get as many of those children up to the middle. Well, it's not it's beyond, it's, it's not middle, actually, is it? Um, yeah. Because actually expected standards is below the middle, because if you've got 75 yeah. percent of children that are getting 100 or more, that's the off that we talked about this last time, the confusion between yeah. standards and, and scale exactly. scores. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, you just the target yeah. is to get as many children to meet expected standards, possible, which is obviously different. And, yeah. and uh, you know, in comparison to key stage four, where you are looking yeah. at children getting fours five sixes sevens eight nines yeah and, and and targets i think become uh more more meaningful um so i, I yeah i yeah. i'm just not entirely sure yeah. if it's a valuable process exactly and my concern is that, i mean i think the targets for to be shared with pupils are really valuable in an examination year saying you know we're on, at the moment you're on target to get this maybe you could do more to move up i think that's useful the concern that i have is the secondary schools that uh, that <laughs> i speak to parents and uh, those working in them where where targets being set in year seven or eight for, for pupils and you think you know tom bennett oh, yeah. um, is always good at that he said basically the target for children in my class is an a that's your target for. Yeah, no. yeah. You know, yeah. why would you set anything other than an A for a child in year seven and say, right, your target is the highest that's possibly available? Because, you know, <laughs> just aim high. So, yeah, yeah so that's yeah. my concern. If you're going to share a target with a child, and uh, and there's a lot of evidence around this as well, that, that you know, there's, that it's the whole reason why we had assessing pupils' progress, ABP, was that if you put a number on a piece of work, children just look at the number and then begin to define mm. themselves by the yeah. number rather than the, the, the work. Yeah. Uh, so therefore, if you say this to a child, right, your target is a five and you're in year seven and there are children who have been given targets like that, that I can't see that as anything other than limiting. Well, the, the, the other thing is, is just the, 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 um, the methods that, that schools are using in, in, in tracking in secondary mm. schools is really interesting where you've got, um, so in Key Stage 3, they're talking about like working... Um, working towards grades you know that, that you are you are working towards a seven or you're working towards a, a, a six or what have you and then yeah. there are those schools that have got these working at grades yeah so, so you're in year seven or you're in year eight and you're currently working at a, a grade three or a grade four yeah. it's just yeah. bonkers yeah. and you've seen yeah. those flight paths so we see them on twitter yeah. sometimes and and they just they just take a, a um some scaled scores at key stage two um mm. create some arbitrary thresholds uh, mm. Just say like this. So they, they group the scaled scores together into like a very low group and a low group and an average and above and a well above and a very, very, very super high group. And they've yep. got these like six different groups. And then they'll just draw a line to mm. uh, so th this th to, to the GCSE grade. And then mm. they'll draw uh, to, to, and then they'll count back and they'll count yeah. back through the year. So if that's if the, so if the target on this line is the six, then you should be a five here and a four here and a three here and a two here and a one here. Mm. It's just fucking mad. Yeah, it's just completely made up data. Yeah, exactly. And, and you, you wonder, you know, particularly now that we've moved beyond targets having to be submitted centrally um, in most cases. I think, as you say, some some schools and organizations are still doing that. But in most cases, you don't need to do that. So actually, then, you know, why are you doing them to, to whose benefit? And, I, I, I used to get really twitchy about my VA calculator because yeah. schools were put in the prior attainment at key stage one an outcome yeah. pop, an estimated outcome, much like you get in FFT, like the, the uh that the scaled score estimate and mm. then what i discover is that schools will then use uh practice sats in year six to see yeah. how far off children are from that estimated outcome yeah. and they would think well uh, so the estimate is to get 100 and 
four, but the child got 99. So they've got to get another five scale points. So how many marks do they need to get on the test in order to get these extra five scale points? And then they do another um, uh, test later on and say, oh, now they've got 101. So they've only got to get another three scale points and they're nearly there. They're nearly there. Yeah. Um, and I find that that really uh, worrying that mm. schools are sort of targeting to this fine degree, mm. thinking they can track in this way. Yeah, exactly. And we'll come on to you know, a later point um, in the podcast talking about the use of standardised scores and why they're so, so much better than a single um, score or a percentage score. Because, again, the one thing which I'm always amazed at is that um, children will begin to think, OK, my target in this test is to get 70 percent. And you just think. But seventy percent that that might be good, but that might be terrible on this test. So so aiming for a for a for a, a, a numerical target like that doesn't it's not beneficial to you or anybody else. You know you should be you should be reviewing what you're doing. You hear occasionally as well. I hear colleagues talking about oh you know I want them to get this on this test, and you think well you don't know particularly if it's an external test you don't know what the what the the the, the average score is going to be, oh, yeah. you know, what the mean is, and so on. So you don't know what you don't know whether that score is good or not. No. What you should be doing is trying to do the best you can on the test and setting targets. To say you know we want you to get as high a uh, whatever make as much progress or whatever or development as whatever yeah. as you can yeah so one of, one of the things i just it's sort of think about um, um fft estimates uh hmm. that that confuses quite a lot of people is that they look at um children who've got the same start point and then hmm. they realize that they've got different um estimated outcomes yeah I think, well, yeah why is that and it's because um fft are factoring in um, yeah. I believe they're factoring in gender and term of birth in, mm -hmm. into that. So, yep. so that's the thing that affects that targeted outcome. Yeah. Um, the other thing that confuses people is that the, the summary estimate that FFT produce, which is like, you know, 72% of children to achieve the expected standard at Key Stage 2, for example, um, mm. that's based on the average outcome for schools with the same kind of prior attainment. Mm. So on average, schools yeah. like your schools of this sort of prior attainment get 72%. Um, mm. But then you look at the individual estimates. The individual yeah. estimates are basically based on their children that have got a greater than 50% chance. Yeah. So it's a different thing. And then schools add up the individual estimates and it comes to 95% targeted yeah. to achieve the expect or estimated to achieve the and they go, why is that different yeah. to the set? You said 72% is my aggregated one. And, and I've actually just aggregated these in. It's 94%. How is there this difference? So yep. there's this sort of lack of understanding there. There's the yep. use of gender and term of birth in the individual estimates, yep. which causes uh, confusion. Um, so, yeah, people, I, yep. I, it's not simple. And people really need to get under the skin of this. Exactly. And understanding the data is the important thing. Is that there's that thing, you know, the estimates are a sense of well broadly this is what happens for children within this prior attainment group or who come from this yeah. position broadly this and certainly that definitely helps that that helps to, to schools to have you know high ambitious targets and so on of what they're expecting to have happen but it doesn't tell you what's going to happen it's just it just supports you so it's using the data to inform what you're doing rather than using the data or end up being held hostage to the data yeah so anyway we shall see how um target progress um target setting again if you're listening to this and you've got any questions about any of this or if there's any um experiences you've had with target setting you know are people still asking you for targets um, yeah uh, and, and if so who who's asking and do you know what they do with them because that's the other question we always ask what what do you do with these targets when you get down to it yeah so we shall see time for our regular what everyone needs to know about slot so this month we're going to have a look at what everyone needs to know about confidence intervals now everyone strives for a bit of confidence don't they well you know mostly um it appears though i have to say as you get older you realize that confidence is fine up to a point um because you know it's hard to be certain about some things and that's why we often hedge our bets and why language re reflects that uncertainty and that's why in essence we use confidence intervals in statistics because a single value um, like a school's average gcse grade in a particular subject or a mean scale score in key stage two maths you know that single score it might be largely indistinguishable from a national average um and um having some sense of a range of similar scores it's clearly more useful to say well you know how does this this score fit within a range uh, but that's kind of where the problems arise <laughs> because we need to have a look at the thorny issue of confidence intervals 
Um, I guess the key thing is kind of how they're calculated, because obviously, uh, what's your experience of this, Jamie, when you're talking to people in schools? Uh, confidence intervals, I find most of the time people are somewhat baffled by them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that their um, senior leaders uh, struggle uh, often um, to know what's going on there. Um, if you look at the IDSR now, um, obviously there's there's a yeah. there's a way for calculating a confidence interval um, for the progress measures, but there's a different way of doing it for uh, the percentage. So for attainment, you know, so there's sure. two different sort of ways of doing that, and that causes a lot of confusion. And as I often, you know, I often talk about governors as well. Uh, governors mm. are the ones that will will be trying to get some find their way through this this mud. Uh, and, and make some kind of judgments about how well the school is doing and they'll be reliant on this data and they'll be presented with progress scores that have had a confidence interval uh, stuck on them and then uh, uh, some kind of statistical significance is derived from that or not or maybe it's just grey. Um, and and exactly. the governors need to try and understand this stuff as well. Offset inspectors need to understand this stuff. Everyone needs to understand this stuff but uh, I'm not sure if everyone does. No, exactly. And it's such a difficult thing, exactly, because... You know, in statistics, confidence intervals, they come out of um, uh, tests for um, statistical significance, which comes out of hypothesis testing. Um, and you can set the confidence interval at various levels yep. of confidence. So you can have a 90% confidence interval. You could have a 20% confidence interval if you wanted to. Um, as it happens, most confidence intervals are set at a 95% confidence interval. Um, and it's really hard to to explain what that means in layman's terms. It's basically, if you did a test, you've got a result. Um, is that result um, what would be expected if you did a whole bunch of other very similar tests? Um, would you could you be fairly confident that that your your result was typical of of a typical result? So you look at confidence intervals, and I say the ninety five percent confidence interval is is just something which has come out over time, and it's become something that's that's now, uh, it's just now what people do. Um, uh, and there are, you know, there are some good reasons for that. So when we talk about confidence intervals in schools, we're talking about 95% confidence intervals, which are calculated in a particular way, which is an assumption that whatever number you're looking at has come from a normally distributed set of results, which those results might be normally distributed. Um, and then you then you do a fairly straightforward calculation basically yep. you need to talk about standard standard deviations here well again most people aren't all that sure what one of those is but basically it's a measure of of how wide is the distribution in a bit of yep. um a bit of data um now again you know two-thirds of the results are one standard deviation from the mean about 96 percent are um two standard yes. deviations from the mean 95 percent confidence interval you do that by 1.96 yeah. times a standard yeah. deviation. So it's almost two standard deviations. Yeah. But then to do the confidence interval, you then have to divide all of that by uh, by the size of your sample. Yeah. And the entertaining thing with this is the way this has worked at, uh, at national level is that the, the standard deviation is based on the national standard deviation of results for Key Stage 2 or GCSE or whatever. Um, the number is the number of pupils in your school. Yes. So remember, you're dividing by, and for various reasons, the square root of the number of children in your school. Yes. And the long and the short of that is, when, when, if you're a governor, for example, and you're looking at those, um, those confidence intervals you're given that say, okay, the result was, let's say, minus 0 0.2, and the confidence interval is between minus 2 and, and whatever, you know, 1.7 or something, um, it'll be equally matched around your, your score. And um, and the size of the confidence interval is directly related to the number of pupils within your school. Yes. yes. Which kind of makes sense, because if you've got lots of pupils, yes. you would expect that the average result would be would be um, closer to the mean, you know, closer to the center. Um, whereas if you've got very few pupils, then you could have all kinds you can have of a greater um, range. Yeah. Kind of outliers. So in fact, you're going to have a bigger confidence interval in a small school and a smaller one in a big school. So, so the way this works is that um, in, in the way that the DfE use them uh, is that if your confidence interval crosses that zero line, if it includes yeah. the national progress score of zero. Uh, so yep. essentially, if your confidence interval goes from a negative to a positive, uh, ranges from negative yep. to positive, it includes zero. It's deemed to be in line with average. Your progress is deemed to be in line with average. If your confidence mm -hmm. interval sits entirely above the zero line, does not cross down below it, then it's deemed to be significantly above. And if it's uh, entirely below it, 
then it's deemed to be significantly below. But the crazy thing about this is that you've, you've got, well, obviously, you've got to have a threshold in there. There is going to be a point at which you are, you are average or you are significantly above or you are average or you're significantly below. And the crazy thing is I've seen examples where it literally comes down to one child making one extra mark. And I've actually uh, recalculated yep. um, some some schools' progress scores where exactly that happened, where they've got a progress score where the lower limit of the confidence interval sits directly mm -hmm. on the zero line. So it's deemed to be average. Now, one child scoring one extra mark is enough to push that just just like a the width of a feather up. Yep. And they're suddenly they're significantly uh, would be significantly above. Now, what we then do with this is we start to infer something about, as we were saying earlier, we infer something about the school effect, mm. about the standards of the school on the basis of this. So we see green box, green box, good, yellow box, meh, orange box, yeah. bad, red box, mm -hmm. school, terrible. You know, so we infer these things. Right. So here is a school that is in line with average. Right. So you've got a sliding yeah. doors moment here. Uh, we say the school is average. Right. Yep. Uh, and then the, the sliding doors moment is that, that, that one child gets one extra mark is just just concentrating for enough time to get one extra mark on the test, which is enough to push that progress score up by point one, point zero one, whatever it is. And suddenly they're significantly mm. above. And our perception of that school changes. Now, I often make this joke about child sits in a hall, sits in the classroom. So do, doing their key stage two SATS test and they look out the window and they see a squirrel in a tree. And yep. they watch that squirrel playing in a tree for 20 seconds, and that's enough to lose them a mark. And because of that squirrel playing in a tree, that loses the mark, that school is no longer significantly above. They are now in line with average. And everyone's perception of that school changes on the basis that they don't get yeah. a green box, they get a yellow box. Exactly. And so that's, that's the dichotomy. The it's the dichotomy. Is that? And there's lots of issues in there. It's the problem with, you know, because people want to be confident, and we've got a confidence interval. It means I'm confident now, and something is significant. That means it's, you know, that means it's important. And of course, we know that that's, it's just not what that um, what that terminology means. No. Um, so that it can very easily then um, it's, it's just send you in the wrong direction. Um, and it can it can distract you. It can make you think things which aren't necessarily true. And it is difficult. And again, I'm, even the, the latest um, uh, IDSRs, they're still using significance in a way that means important. And you just think, oh, just well, please yeah, yeah, don't. So it means it's it means it's different. It means it's substantially different to something. So like you were saying, if, if you've got a confidence interval that's entirely above, what that means is assuming that all of those numbers are reasonable, that there's there's something different about this school for some reason. This there's something different. Now, if you said there's something different because the children have got better results, okay, well, what's different about the school? There's something different, which means the children have got w um, weaker results. Well, is that something different? Is it genuinely to do with the fact that the school's awful and that the teachers don't know what they're doing and the management's terrible? Or is there just something different in that cohort? In yeah, that group? And, and that's and again, the problem. The, the, the knee-jerk yeah. reaction on seeing that mm. significantly below, the data significantly yeah. below, is there's something that school is doing wrong. Teaching is not very good in that school. Standards in the school are not very yeah. good. When actually it could yeah. be that one child just has a duff day on a test. Um, yeah. uh, for, for, you know, no, no fault of the school, that could happen. I think when you're starting to see progress scores are really, really, really low, then that might be telling you something. But, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, yeah. that's, that's definitely a, a problem that, um, yeah, one child sort of yeah. uh, scoring either side of a particular line can make the difference here. Um, mm. Or if you had uh, 26 children rather than 25 children in, in a cohort, you know, yeah. that's enough. to. Yeah. You can get two schools with exactly the same progress scores. One's got 25 in and one's got 26 in. The school that's got 26 in has got a narrower confidence interval and is significantly above. The school that's got 25 in has got a wider confidence interval and it just tips below that zero line and therefore they're average. Yeah. But, but so but we look at those schools in different yeah. ways. Exactly. And it's as I, understanding a little bit of the way it's, you know, how confidence intervals are, are, are constructed and the fact that they, these are 95% confidence in, in, intervals. And they could be something different. That's just it's just a uh, it's just a convention that we use that now. Um, and so if you understand that, you can say, well, OK, so there's, there's clearly something that's interesting about this because it looks like we're we're above or below something. But it's not significant. Well, <laughs> you know, that technology yeah, is not helpful. And again, it's also interesting knowing, you know, for those who, who are just working in schools, you know, the whole field, particularly of psychology, but, but those fields that use significance testing a lot. Um, are they're beginning to question whether yeah. just this convention of using 95% 
it's called p mining in, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. is um the five percent uh the p values that you use again which is for another day but there's all kinds of issues there that, that and there's a bit of a crisis in in um in some uh, academic well, yeah, that's it. so so in, in sure that, that article in nature um we, we yeah, talked about you know there's all these notes. like 800 different academics that have signed this letter where they're concerned about the use of yeah. these things because what they're saying is that people because it creates this sort of false dichotomy um of mm. statistically significant and not statistically significant data yeah. you then mm. stop you, you you can uh miss important detail that you've got a mm -hmm. school that gets for example we're talking about schools but you've got a a, a score of plus 1.7 and then you've got a score of plus 1.71 uh, and yep. one is significantly above and the other isn't. And you could take well, that, that one's that one's an unusual score. That's that's really important. That's a big difference. And the other one, that's just average. And it just glosses over yeah. the detail. And actually, there's like there's just no difference. It's just that it's tipped no, up. Exactly. The, the other thing that yeah. concerns me is go into the performance tables, go to mm. any school, click on the little yeah. link that shows you detail about how it's calculated. And it gives you this information about that more detail about the progress measures. And it shows yeah. you what percentage of schools are in each of those five progress bands. There's the well below, the below, the average, the above, yeah. and the well above average. Mm -hmm. There are 20% of schools that are deemed to be below or well below average. Those are schools yeah. whose confidence intervals sit entirely below zero. And there are 20% of schools, this is primary schools, by the way, that are above average, yeah. um, whose confidence intervals sit entirely above zero. So that's 40% mm. of primary schools are deemed to have progress yep. that is statistically significant. Yeah. Secondary, <laughs> it's exactly. yeah. 60%. It's 30% that are below. So the majority yeah. of secondary schools are deemed to have scores yeah. that are statistically significant. The majority. We're not talking about 95% yeah. and 5% being the outliers. No. 60%. No. Exactly. Yeah. So that's 60% of schools that are being, oh, you've got amazing or you've got terrible so that, that that's, exactly. a, that's a worry yeah oh it is a worry exactly but i think broadly i, th I say the thing which if you don't know very much about confidence intervals you should know that they that it's an arbitrary um measure that that it exists through convention um and it's there to try and give you some indication of the point score that you've got is that point score is it is it unusual is it indicating that the cohort um have, have achieved in a slightly unusual way that's all it's trying to do. It's it's not definitely telling you anything. It's not giving you confidence and it's not significant. It's just trying to say to you, OK, if you use this sensibly, it kind of indicates there's something that's either different or not different about this group of uh, the children yeah. who took this test. But, but it's not certain. And if you understand that, yeah. you might you might find them useful. <laughs> but there, but the important, there is no certainty. If the no. school is in line with average, then we can't really say anything about those progress scores at all. If it's significantly yeah. above or significantly below, then we, we might say that, oh, that, that's quite high. That's quite, but we, there's still, we, we can't say with any degree of certainty. No, exactly. So, anyway, so I hope that's brought a little bit of, uh, of light to people who don't know anything at all about confidence intervals. Let's say I, I ended up doing, there's like two or three chapters in, in uh, my last book about it, because in order to really understand it, there's a whole bunch of stuff you need to understand. But that's broadly tells you, you know, roughly how they count it, calculated what they can possibly be used for but again just be be very very um very careful by making very firm uh decisions based on uh on the numbers absolutely. you've been given absolutely don't judge a school by its color <laughs> excellent Well, that's it for this month. The Data Busters podcast is published monthly during the academic year and is available on all good podcast outlets, uh, as you know, since you're listening to us now. Um, if you like what we're doing, please do recommend us to others. Um, and if you've got any questions or um, anything you want to share, then feel free to send in a voice recording, which you can do via Anchor, which you can find a link to, um, or contact us on Twitter, either at Jack underscore Marwood or at Jay Pembroke. Um, and if you'd like to find out more about the current data landscape and what you need to know about data, um, Jamie, we're doing our, um, our Data Busters Days Out. We're going on tour, mate. We are. We're going on tour. Excellent. Very yeah, and, and, and we're aiming to get to you know places in the country that uh, that uh, often that people don't um, tend to visit, or you know we're trying to get out um, around the regions, just sort of all the way around the country. You know, for whoever wants to have us, wherever we think we can fit in. Yeah. Um, so we've got a number of things which are planned in. 
but particularly we wanted to let you know we're in Lincolnshire um, next month. Boston, um, Boston, Lincolnshire. Boston, Lincolnshire. 20th of November. That's the one, yep. So that's all set up and uh, ready to go. Looking forward to that. So if you're in that neck of the woods, and again, yeah, it'd be good to have you along. Yeah. Um, then um, I've got a couple of things in December. Moving on to in, in January, we're in Peterborough. Uh, and then Leicestershire, yeah, twenty first of January, Peterborough, and then Leicestershire on the twenty second. Yeah, and then we're up to the northwest, aren't we? Yeah, we're in Liverpool um, on the thirtieth of uh, January. Yeah, so um, at yeah. the uh, Crosby Lakeside Centre, Crosby yeah, Lakeside Crosby. Centre, <laughs> Crosby. And we're going to yeah. go down to the Gormleys. Uh, uh, tickets for all of those things, we've put them, uh, they're available through Eventbrite. Um, but again, if you get in touch with either of us via Twitter, um, and let us, um, if you're interested in anything else. And if you want to host any dates, let us know as well, because we're, we're fairly busy now through till, it's quite good looking through to the end of February, beginning of March, but we'd like to kind of continue, um, again, yeah. our tour of the regions, tour of the country. It'd be good to see. Yeah. Excellent. So we shall look forward to that. Um, I hope you have a, uh, an enjoyable half term, Jamie. And Thank anybody you. else who's out there who's listening, uh, again, I hope that you're ready for that break. Um, in the meantime, if there's anything else um, uh, which you want to share with us, then please do. Um, let us know how your school uses progress measures. Let us know who asks you about targets. Send us your views and um, keep data positive.